Our first scripture lesson today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 3 through 9. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Our second reading today is a familiar one, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Both of the scriptures that Maria read are foreshadowings of the Christ to come. Considered to be prophetic in their utterance, we now see how they mattered in portraying who Jesus would be and the ministry he would have. Uh, Isaiah 53 impresses me when it starts out, he was despised and rejected. Hmm. That's the risk of faith. Our gospel lesson kind of talks about stuff like that. It is a picture of a dinner party that took place at, uh, in Bethany, which is not too far from Jerusalem. I invite you to stand as we read from Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse thir- 14, beginning in verse 3. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of pure nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. 
But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was this ointment wasted on him? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The risk of rejection. (laughs) I learned that early in life. And I play those tapes over and over when someone criticizes me negatively. I remember in elementary school it was in gym class. We'd be in the gym, and, and, and we'd be dividing up into teams to play. And usually, it was dodgeball or basketball. And everyone kind of figured out really quick that uh, I was kind of clumsy. I literally would trip over the painted lines on the floor. So when the, the gym teacher, which was usually a male... Picked out two of the stud muffins, popular guys in the school. In those days, it was boys' gym and girls' gym. Okay, I wasn't none of this co-ed stuff. And um, he'd have a popular fellow over here, a popular fellow over here, and he said, choose your teams. And he'd back off. And I became very much afraid because I knew what would happen. I would be about dead last so they'd pick, they'd pick, they'd pick, they'd pick, they'd pick, they'd pick. And sure enough, one of them, like drawing the short straw, ended up with me. And you could just see a humph as they said, come on over. And so I would play on the team, and usually the team I was on, if they lost, I caught lots of ridicule. Dodgeball was particularly toxic to me because uh, I didn't want to break my glasses. That was before the days you could do this with glasses, bend them and twist them all sort of ways. And I, I broke my glasses playing dodgeball, so I'd take my glasses off. Now, and they'd aim for the face. The gym teacher would say, don't aim for the face. All you got to do is say, don't. And what did they do? They do, especially me, because they knew I didn't have my glasses on. And so I endured dodgeball. I also remember uh, basketball. They didn't want me on their teams because I couldn't even get it up to the height of the basket. I'm glad KU can do that. Then I also remember my first softball game. Elementary school. And I had the opportunity to go out for uh, recreational sports, community recreation, and uh, I decided to sign up for softball one summer. My parents thought that was great, although they didn't know anything about softball. They were musicians. 
what do you say? And um, I didn't know anything about softball, but I wanted to try. And so uh, they, they knew that I couldn't catch, so they didn't want me in the outfield or at one of the bases. But they thought, well, I could probably play catcher. So they gave me the mask with the wires on it, you know. And once again, it wouldn't fit over my glasses. So I literally had to take my glasses off. Hector, what's the deal with that? Anyway, uh, I'd get down and literally I would miss the ball or it hit me in the face. Then I finally got my turn to bat. I was so thrilled. I was ready to go. And apparently my eyes worked pretty good because I, after a couple of strikes, I hit that ball. I can remember it and it went great. And I dropped the bat and I ran as fast as my little legs could carry me to third base. No one ever told me you're supposed to go the other way. As it turned out, it was an easy out, and the crowd roared with laughter. And I walked off that field, and I never played softball again. So when I get negatively criticized, I remember these days, and it hurts. Sometimes. I can laugh about it now. But Jesus risked rejection with everything he did. Everywhere he went. And every time he healed and taught. Jesus would break with convention in so many ways. And he knew that they would chastise him for that. They knew that they would despise him. And that they would ultimately reject him. But Jesus did it Anyway, when he chose his disciples, he chose men and women. Now, the gospel writers, they only wrote down the names of the twelve, but they also occasionally said, and there were others who followed women. Some of them were named, most of them were not. And some of their stories are told. Now, let me go down this bunny trail, if I might. Jesus was the great equalizer Women, to him, were important human beings, not the objects of that culture, or often ours. They were human beings. And there were lots of women who followed Jesus. I compiled a list. I went through the Gospels. I compiled a list of all the women who followed Jesus. And if I miss one, And you catch me in that, you give me the name of the one I missed, and I will take you for steak. These are the women that followed Jesus. There was Anna, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the um, the mother of James and John, Simon Peter's wife, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, the woman of Bethany who anointed Jesus in our gospel lesson. There was Joanna, Susanna, Mary of Clopas, Salome, Mary and Martha, the daughters of Jerusalem, the Syrophoenician woman, you know, the one who taught Jesus that the love of God was for more than just the Jewish people, that the love of God was for all people, and so he healed her daughter, that daughter, the widow of Nain, whose son Jesus raised from the dead, there was the bent-over woman in the synagogue whom Jesus healed, which was mistake number one, on the Sabbath, mistake number two, a no-no, And it incurred the wrath of the leaders of the synagogue. Jesus said, hey, 
Her need was greater than any Sabbath law. Well, I go on. There was the the women who waited and watched at the crucifixion, the women who first saw the resurrection, the woman at the well, the mother of Jesus, the woman caught in adultery, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, the sisters of Jesus, the woman who touched the hem of his garment, and the daughter of Jairus, the religious leader. And he also mentioned other women, the widow of Zarephath in Sidon, the queen of Sheba, in uh, the Old Testament and in parables and lessons he talked about the ten virgins the persistent widow he uh, observed the widow putting her offering in the uh, temple collection the woman who searched for the lost coin and the woman who put a lump of leaven when she made bread did I miss any? let me know it's worth a stake I want you to know that Jesus was a great equalizer, and by doing all this, he broke with convention. And he offered wholeness and salvation. Each of these women had their own story and connection to Jesus. Each risked a lot to encounter Jesus, a risk that included for them ridicule and their reputation for following this man of Galilee. Because the culture in that time said that men did not speak to women in public unless they were part of the man's family, which means I couldn't speak to half of you. No, well, yeah, because the rest are guys. Jewish males literally prayed every morning, prayers that excluded people, and one of the phrases was, I thank you, God, I'm not a woman. I'm sorry. The women were to be shunned and disdained, as one author put it. Legally, a woman's testimony was not to be trusted unless confirmed by a man. They had no legal standing. Women were more valued if they were connected to a man. But, listen to this, they couldn't divorce their husbands, but the husbands could divorce the wives for something as little as squeezing the toothpaste in the middle. Women could not own property. And if they did, their husbands had complete control over it. Women were segregated in the synagogue and were not allowed to lead, which means, sorry. And the guys could come in the sanctuary, but uh, the the women, you'd have to stay out in the narthex and uh, we wouldn't turn the speakers on for you. Jesus broke with all of those conventions when he included women. I wrote in the margins so much stuff we could be here till 2 o'clock, but I'll only share part of it. Not once in the gospel record is there any mention of Jesus belittling, disgracing, criticizing, or stereotyping a woman. Sorry, guys. We did not fare so well. He upbraided us many times. He called us to account, and he told us to repent Jesus did not discriminate against women. His kindness toward women was unparalleled. And get this. Now, I won't buy you a stake for this if you can prove me wrong. But Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion whose attitude toward women was liberating, affirming, and equalizing. There isn't any other. Isn't. Isn't any other. That's what highlighted the value of this story of the woman who broke into the dinner party and broke a jar of expensive perfume and 
poured it on Jesus' head. An unnamed woman, Jesus said, this story will be forever told in the annals of history. And today we honor that. Her name is lost, but her faith and her story is not. The woman's name is not included, but it is likely that she was not an invited guest at this dinner party. She just entered. She risked rejection at minimum and being thrown out at maximum. Jesus notes her gratitude. He commended her for her service. And it's quite possibly that she's the only one in the room who recognized Jesus for the royalty that he was. The rest of them said Jesus wasn't worth it. He could have sold this. Why spend it on Jesus? Jesus basically spoke up for her when he said to the man, Oh, hush up. Leave her alone. This woman may very well have actually had the words of Jesus sink in when he predicted that he would die and that he was giving her anointment ahead of his burials. The rest of them didn't get it. And I've conjured with the possibility that this might also have been one of the women who showed up at the tomb on Easter morning. Now you'll have to leave that to your imaginations because we don't know if that's the case or not, but we do know this. That the lives of those that Jesus touched were forever altered and changed. Powerful story. And so we tell the story. We tell the story. Now let's fast forward to today, okay? Zoop! Here we are. How do you regard women? Unfortunately, in our culture, we have a long ways to go. And unfortunately, even more, in some of our religious circles, we have even further to go. Uh, I won't name the Southern Baptist Convention, who throws noted women like Beth Moore out of the denomination. Come on. Give me a break. You guys are just jealous. How do you view the stranger? How do you see those who are different from you? How do you look at those who break with social convention? How do you see the poor, the ones who've blown it, the ones who've done you wrong, and those who do the world wrong? I would never say that following Jesus is easy or that these questions have pat answers. Nope, it's not that easy. Whatever we choose to answer them involves risk and misinterpretation. I know. I've been there, done that, and you don't get a t-shirt. There will be people who will hate you because of the people you choose to love. Thank you for teaching me that. There are folk who will look down on you because they really don't know you or don't want to take the time to get to know you. There are folk who will criticize you if you change your mind and choose to see something in a new and different way. And I like this one. People don't care what you really think. They just want to hear what they think, believe, and feel coming out of your mouth. I never said it would be easy. What I will say is this. Following Jesus is still the best way to honor God. 
It's risky business, but like the woman who anointed Jesus, it's really the only way to go. So as for me and my house, we will follow Jesus and we will let his grace, his love, and his teachings in turn anoint us from head to toe and transform our lives as only Jesus can. Amen.